Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for the privilege of being in God's house today. <clears throat> we thank thee for the songs and the impact of believers gathering together, for these instruments that have blessed our hearts, for that sermon and song. And now may the word of God speak to our hearts. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to bring conviction and salvation. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. We ought to give the more earnest heed. We ought to pay attention. That's what God is saying. Lest at any time we should let them slip. The word picture is like something floating or slipping by the harbor of safety. A ship that comes toward a rocky cleft. And it can turn into the harbor, but it just slips by and goes toward the rocks and the shoals. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression, that means the stepping over the land, and every disobedience, a failure, an unwillingness to hear, a failure to concentrate to do what God says to do. Every transgression, every disobedience receives a just recompense or reward. How shall we escape? How shall you and I escape if we neglect so great salvation? The word neglect is a terrible word. It means to ignore or to disregard or to fail to attend to or to leave undone the most tragic word in the English language, neglect. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Of all sad words of tongue or pen, saddest are these. It could have been. We neglect many things. Our hearts are filled with sorrow and contemplation as we think about some things that people neglect. I know some students who have neglected their studies. They put off studying, they put it off, and they put it off until report card time comes. And then a student who is an A student comes up with a C because he neglected his studies. Or a person, student, in college, whose parents have invested a great deal of concern and love and time and money 
that student comes up on the flunking list because of neglect, neglecting those studies. I think sometimes of words of kindness that are neglected. You know, people's hearts are failing them for fear. A lot of times we meet people at church, in school, in the factory, wherever we work, in the home, people whose hearts are just waiting for some word of encouragement, some word of kindness, but we're so filled with ourselves, we never take time to say thank you. We never say, you've been a blessing to me, you've helped me a great deal. Husbands fail to tell their wives, I love you. Wives fail to say to their husbands, I love you. Children take for granted the love and the concern of their parents. And when a wonderful meal is fixed, or you go home at night and you've got a nice bed to sleep in, or you've got a warm shelter in the wintertime, you just take it for granted. You never say, thanks, Mom, thanks, Dad, thank you. Words of kindness are neglected. And I don't know how many caskets I've stood by. And I've seen sometimes teenagers and sometimes adults, sometimes old people, stand by a casket, a mother or daddy in that casket, and they just weep. They cry out, oh, if I could just say to my mother all that I feel now, all the neglect, all the letters I didn't write, all the phone calls I didn't make, all the visits I didn't make, all the words that I didn't say, words that I wish I could say, but those ears are deaf now, they cannot hear. We neglect. I wish I had some secret formula that could invest a spirit of gratitude in a person's heart so that we would no longer neglect expressing those things of gratitude from one heart to another. This is Thanksgiving season. I think I speak to some people this morning who when the service is over, need to go to a phone, make a long-distance phone call and say to somebody in some distant city, I want to thank you for all you've meant to me and what you've done for me. Students here need to call moms and dads or grandma and grandpa or somebody, aunt or uncle or someone, say thank you for all you've meant to me and all you've done for me. Words of kindness left undone, unsaid. Sometimes we neglect to do the thing that we know we ought to do until it's too late to do it. I speak to some people this morning who have it within their power to make their families happy. All you need to do is to make some quiet little commitment in your life that would affect the actions of your life and would bring a transform change in your home and you know you need to do it, you want to do it, you expect to do it, you anticipate doing it one day, but you've neglected it. You've put it off some other time, some other day, some other hour, not now. And one day it will be too late. I think I speak to some parents who have children in your homes. If you've got a child that's 10 in eight years, that child will be 18. 
you've got a child that's 15, in five years that child will be 20. If you've got a child that's eight, in 10 years, 18, you don't have those children very long. How wise is that mom or dad who determines now, today, while it is called today, I will neglect no longer to do for my son, my daughter, to arrange to have a Christian home like I ought to have. Daddy had a little boy. His soul was white as snow. He never went to Sunday school because daddy wouldn't go. He never heard the word of God that thrills the childish mind. While other children went to class, that child was left behind. As he grew from babe to youth, dad saw to his dismay a soul that once was snowy white became a dingy gray. Realizing that his son was lost, dad tried to win him back. But now the soul that once was white has turned an ugly black. Dad even started back to church and Bible study too. He begged the preacher, isn't there something, isn't there something you can do? The preacher tried and failed and said, we're just too far behind. I tried to tell you years ago, but you would pay no mind. And so another soul was lost that once was white as snow. Sunday school would have helped, but daddy wouldn't go. I know a land where the streets are paved with things we meant to achieve, walled with money we meant to have saved, and the pleasures for which we grieve. Kind words unspoken, promises broken, and many a coveted boon are gathered there in that land somewhere, the land of pretty soon. There uncut jewels of possible fame are lying about in the dust, and many a noble and lofty aim are covered with mud and rust, and oh, this place, while it seems so near, is farther away than the moon. Though purpose is fair, we'll not get there to that land of pretty soon. The road that leads to that mystic land is strewn with pitiful wrecks. The ships that sailed for its shining strand bear skeletons on their decks. It's farther at noon than it was at dawn, and farther at night than at noon. Oh, let us beware of that land down there, the land of pretty soon. Some people have neglected their health rules. They go to a doctor. The doctor shakes his head. If you'd come six months ago, I could have helped you. But you neglected it. As serious as all these things are, how far more serious it is to neglect an individual soul. I plan to talk to that man about his soul. I plan to talk to my neighbor about her soul. I plan to talk to my boy or my girl. I plan to. I want to. I expect to. Then one morning you get up and you get a newspaper and you start reading and, and in the obituary column you read that name. You had planned to go, but it's too late. Those lips lie silent in death. And so I've asked God this morning to lay on our hearts, every one of us, beginning with this preacher and everyone in this room and everyone within the sound of my voice, the importance of not waiting, of not neglecting. How shall we escape if we neglect? Neglect. George Truett used to say, to neglect is not right. To neglect is not reasonable. To neglect is not safe. How shall we neglect 
if we, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Brother, I want us this morning, please, to see the sign of our neglect and the sin of our neglect and the seriousness of our neglect. Number one, the sign of our neglect. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 9, Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. As serious as all the things are we discussed a moment ago concerning neglect, for a man to neglect his own eternal destiny is the most serious. For a man to pamper his body, to take his body to a doctor, to take his body to a suit shop, to take his body to a restaurant, to feed it, to clothe it, to heal it, and then to neglect that part of his body, that part of his life, which will live on and on and on after the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, or 80 years is all past. That man is foolish. How shall we escape if we neglect? The scripture says, if you speak to warn a man from the evil of his way, and that man do not turn from his evil, he will die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. The very fact that you have been warned, that somebody has come to your house and knocked on your door, someone has called you on the telephone, someone has written you a letter, someone has said to you person to person, God loves you. He wants to win you back. He wants to draw you back. The very fact you've heard that and you've said no is a sign of your neglect. You're saying, no, no, I know what I ought to do. I know what I need to do, but I'll not do it. A sign of your neglect. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? There are many people who offer excuses for their neglect. In Luke chapter 14, a certain man made a great supper and bad many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. They all with one consent began to make excuse. What is your excuse for neglecting doing what God has told you to do? There are people here this morning who are lost. You need Jesus as your personal Savior. And you've neglected, you've put it off, you've said not today, some other time, some other hour, but not now. There are people here who have received Christ as your Savior and God is saying it's time to get busy working for God. It's time to be part of the Lord's church to identify yourself with this church. And you've said, maybe someday I will, but not now. I'll put it off. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? There is a tide taken at the flood which leads on to fortune. But when we fail to take that tide in the affairs of men taken at the flood, and we ignore that flood stage, all the rest of life is lived in the shallows. I've had people say to me, well, preacher, I would come to Christ, but I'm afraid I can't hold out. Well, brother, you're right, you can't hold out. There's not a one person in this room this morning who could hold out. 
And if you're going to wait to come to Christ until you can hold out, you will spend eternity separated from God in an awful place called hell. Because God never promised one time in his book that anybody who comes to him can hold out. On the other hand, he did promise, I'll hold you. You go down to busy intersection, down at Park Row, or over on busy 31W at Cabell Drive. And you say to your little boy, Jimmy, Jimmy, and you hold on to me. Jimmy's five years old. You say, Jimmy, hold on to me. And so you dart out across that street and you, hold, you hope that Jimmy's holding on to you. Is that the way you do it? No, not on your life. You know that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And so you may say, Jimmy, hold on to me. But what you really do is get hold of his hand and you hold on to him. And you fairly yank him across that street holding on to him. Because you know he would dart out from you in front of a car. That's the way God is. You see, when you come to Christ, you may sense, I need to hold on to Christ. And it's all right to say that if you want to. But the Bible tells us that Christ is going to hold on to you. When you come to him, he'll do the holding. He'll place you in the hand of God. And God will close his hand on you and the Holy Spirit will seal you unto the day of redemption. I place this watch in my hand. If Billy here is stronger than I am, he can come up here and he can try to get it out. Billy, why don't you come up here and see if you can get this thing out of my hand. You see if Billy can get it out of my hand. Now, come on, Billy, try harder, 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 harder. All right, now look, he's about to get my fingers open. See, he's got them open. He might do it, but I want to tell you. Thank you, Bill. You go sit down. When Jesus takes you and he puts you in the hand of God, there's nobody in earth or in heaven that can break the seal of the Holy Spirit on your life. You are God's and he is yours forever and forever. And he does the holding. He does the holding. You dare not wait to say, I'll wait until I can hold out true to the end. Christ will do the holding in your life. I've had other people say, well, someday I'll come, but I don't understand enough about how to come. I don't understand enough. The Bible tells us all we need to know. Somebody said, well, you know, I don't understand all about Revelation and Daniel. And I don't understand all about those visions in Ezekiel and wheel in a wheel and I don't understand all that. And you know, I don't understand how God made the whole world and I don't understand all those things. So I'm not going to come till I can understand. The Bible says all you need to know is that you're a sinner and Christ is a Savior. He gave his life on the cross for you and he loves you. And if you'll come to him with your sin and your sorrow and your heartache and your burden and your messed up life and all your failures and all your questions and your faith and your lack of faith, if you'll just come, I will in no wise cast you out. Jesus said that. I've had other people say, well, I just don't feel like it. I'd like to come, but I don't feel like it. Don't feel like it today. Just don't feel like it. I don't know what kind of feeling you're supposed to have. You know, the day that I was saved, I went to church that morning. And I don't think I ever told God I didn't feel like it because I felt like it. I knew I needed Jesus. Now, I don't know what kind of feeling you have to have, whether you're supposed to shout or cry or laugh or something else. I didn't do any of those things. But I knew I was lost. I knew I was a sinner. I went to church on Sunday morning. And the man preached. I don't know what he preached, but I knew I ought to have gone forward and I didn't do it. I neglected it. I just put it off. I was afraid. I went back on Sunday night. I don't know what kind of feeling I was supposed to have, but I knew deep inside that what that man was preaching up there, I needed. And my heart started going like that. And I knew I needed it. 
Now, I didn't have some big feeling, and when I was saved that night, I didn't cry, I didn't laugh, I didn't shout, I didn't jump, I didn't do any of those things. I quietly, fearfully said, Lord, here's my life. I was nine years of age. I don't know whether others were a fake at that age or not. They might have been, but I can tell you for one thing, Jesus Christ came into my life, and he never left me. He came in. And just before he came in, I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I want to be saved. I want to give my heart to you, but I'm afraid. I guess I was afraid of all of those people. And it was, it was as if Jesus said, Richard, if you'll take the first step, I'll go with you. And I took a step out into the aisle and the Lord Jesus began to go with me. And he's never stopped since. And he'll do you like that. We do not do the great things in life. We do because we feel like it. Do you suppose George Washington spent the winter at Valley Forge? His armies were cold and didn't have enough clothes and sometimes they had no shoes. Sometimes he would get down in the snow and pray for his armies. Do you suppose George Washington felt like that? Do you suppose our men who went to Vietnam and got in those foxholes when the bombs were bursting all around and the guns were shooting and the enemy was coming. Do you suppose they were there because they felt like it? They were there because they needed to. They knew they needed it. America needed them. Jesus said, except a man repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You must be born again. And so we do not come to Christ just because we feel like it. We come because we must. We must. There is no other way. Someone said, well, I'd like to come, but there are too many hypocrites in the church. Well, I'll tell you, I'd rather spend a little while with some hypocrites here than to spend eternity in hell with every one of them because they're all going to be there. And beside that, the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And if you come and you get, in, you get saved and you join the church, the church will still be, uh, it will not be perfect. It will be filled with sinners, sinners saved by grace. I've had people say, well, I don't want to join that church. I know somebody over there that did such and such a thing. Yes, sir, and if I could tell you the whole story, you'd know a whole bunch of people that did a whole bunch of things. And when you come, I can tell one more story because your life has been filled with a bunch of things too. But I want to tell you, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And our sin stains can be washed clean and pure in the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanses from all sin. Some people say, well, I'll come someday. Someday. I expect to do it someday. Not today, but someday. That's the way it was with Felix. In Acts chapter 24, after certain days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith of Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a more convenient season, I will call for thee. As far as we know, Felix never had a more convenient season. And he is in hell this morning. I have in my hand two red prospect cards. A number of years ago and sometimes today, 
We put lost people on red cards here at this church. If I'd read the names on here, some of you who've been here for several years would know who, who these people were. These were in our card file. I used to visit them. Some of you used to visit them. Matter of fact, there's a name on here this morning, somebody that's in this auditorium who visited these people. I went one week, and I, these two people lived on the same street. I pled with them to trust Jesus as their Savior, two men. They said, no, not tonight. Not tonight, preacher, we expect to be saved someday, but not now, not tonight, some other time. Please give us time, don't push me, don't pressure me. Oh, I can hardly tell this without asking God to forgive me for not pressuring them. The next weekend was Labor Day weekend in September. On Labor Day, Monday, I went down to Paris, Tennessee, spent the week there, we, the day there with a preacher friend of mine on the lake. Incidentally, I love the lake. It would never do for me to have a boat, Brother Kemp. It would be too much of a temptation for me. Some of you guys that have boats ought to sell them so you won't spend the weekend out there on the lake with them. And I went down there to the lake and spent on Monday sailing all over that lake like a crazy man, standing up on the boat, running at 50 and 60, wide open, as wide as it'd get. I came back to Bowling Green that night. When I got back home, there was a phone call to please come over on this such and such a street and see this lady. I went over there, and I saw two ladies. I'll never forget the sight in my life. Two ladies, the wives of those two men that I had witnessed to, they were weeping hysterically. Oh, they said, my husband was out on the lake and their boat capsized and they drowned. Tell me, preacher, are they in heaven? And I knelt there and prayed. I tried to pray that God would comfort them, but what kind of comfort could I give to two ladies whose husbands five days before that had said, not tonight, preacher. Don't push me. Don't pressure me. Someday I'll be saved, but not tonight. Not tonight. As far as I know, they're in hell today. And I've got these cards. And these cards have been in their home when they were still alive. Oh, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Very briefly, I want you to see the sin of this neglect. The sin of this neglect. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore or punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. In Moses' day, when a person disobeyed the law of God, they died without any mercy. When two or three witnesses spoke against them, they were stoned to death. The Bible says now, a person who dies having trodden underfoot the blood of Jesus Christ, how much sorer punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under his feet the blood of Christ. If you want to know why, 
Look at Calvary. Look at what Jesus did when he died on the cross. Come with me to Jerusalem. The Messiah, the King of the Jews, had come to his temple and they had rejected him. Jesus was in Gethsemane praying and they came with sticks and torches and knives and lances as if to arrest a common criminal. They said, we seek Jesus. And Jesus said, I that speak to thee am he. And they fell back. And then they came again and they arrested him and they bound him. They carried him across the brook Kidron and into the gate of the temple and into the praetorium. They took him to Annas and Caiaphas and to Pilate and to Herod and back to Pilate. Pilate washed his hands and said, I find no fault in this man. They spit upon him and they beat his cheeks and they plucked out his beard. The Bible says he gave his back to the smiters and they whipped his back with that cat of nine tails. The doctors have told us that it's a wonder he ever made it to the cross because his back was broken and bleeding. All of his intestines could have come out. And then they led Jesus to the cross. And he who had never sinned, whose hands had never been lifted up in deceit, those hands were nailed to the cross. And the Son of God was lifted on that cross into that prepared tore. The blood of Jesus streamed down to the foot of that cross, forming a pool of blood at the foot of the cross that sinners plunged beneath that blood should lose all their guilty stains. Mercy there was great. Grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Jesus, Jesus, your Savior, my Savior, dying for the sins of the world. From the throne of a cross, the king of grief cries out to a world of unbelief. O men and women afar and nigh, is he nothing to you, all ye that pass by? And then you say, no, not today, not now. Not this hour, some other moment, some other time, not now. This Bible that will be raised in judgment against you at the great white throne judgment, this Bible says, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under his feet the blood of Christ, the sin of your, of your neglect, you sin against Jesus. Last of all, the seriousness of your neglect. This word says in Proverbs 29, 1, He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And in Genesis chapter 6, God's Spirit shall not always strive with man. The Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart this morning. He's tugging at your heart. And you can feel that heartbeat. And you know what you need to do with Christ. But there comes a day when you will have drifted carelessly with the tide beyond hope. They tell us that on the Niagara River, as it goes down toward Niagara Falls, there's a series of signs that says, danger ahead, another sign, danger ahead, another sign, danger ahead, and then there's a big sign that says, You've reached the point of no return. A man and his son were on that little river going down toward the Niagara Falls. They reached that sign that said, danger ahead. The son said, Daddy, we ought to turn around. There's a danger sign. 
Oh, the daddy said, son, it's all right. I've been through here a lot of times. It's all right. They came on down. They came to another sign that was a little bit bigger, danger ahead. The son said, daddy, daddy, we ought to turn around. There's a danger sign. Oh, son, it's okay. Don't be scared. They went on down. They passed that third sign, danger ahead. Oh, daddy, turn around. Go back. Get a boy, be quiet. It's all right. It's all right. Finally, they came to that great big sign. You've reached the point of no return. The daddy furiously tried to turn that little skiff around. And he worked and he worked and he worked. But the harder he worked, the further the tide and the water carried them down toward the falls. And alas, they went to the mouth of that great Niagara Falls. And over they went, crushed to death at the bottom on the rocks. I want to say to you, there's danger ahead. You say, but I've been by it before. I've heard those sermons before. I've heard somebody talk about that before. Yes, you've passed the first danger sign, the second danger sign, the third danger sign. And there could be someone here today or within the sound of my voice who already is facing that sign that says you've reached the point of no return. While there is still time, will you turn back to Christ? May we pray, every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father in heaven, I plead with thee earnestly this morning to not let men or women or boys or girls turn and go out of this auditorium neglecting so great salvation. But may they come, oh, may they come. May they turn to God today by faith in Jesus Christ. Help them to turn away from sin, away from disaster, away from a wasted life, away from putting it off longer. May they come to say, I cast my lot with Jesus today. God help them to do it in Christ's name. Amen. May we stand, please. I would like to request that no one leave no one move around during the singing of this hymn. This is God's invitation. God has spoken to people here this morning. And I want to ask you to do what the Holy Spirit has told you to do. With all your heart, just do it. If the Spirit of God has spoken to you about your salvation, you need Christ as your Savior, come to Him quickly. Just, just come and say, here's my life, Lord. I give it to you today. If you've never been saved, you can be saved today. If you have been saved, but you've put Christ off or you have not confessed him openly, you've never let others know that Jesus is in your heart, you need to come confessing Christ. If you've been saved, but you have not been scripturally baptized, you need to come. Some here are members of other churches and God wants you at Glendale. And I plead with you today to not neglect that. Don't put it off, come today. As we begin to sing, who will be the first to step out for the King, Christ Jesus? In rededication, recommitment of your life to Christ, or trusting Jesus as your Savior, will you come now?